Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Today, we have with us the Executive Director of the National Centers for Science Education, Ann Reed. Um, welcome, Ann. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yep, glad to have you. And Anne is going to join us uh, in this conversation um, that really spans a number of topics in science education. Um, as I mentioned, the executive director for the National Center for Science Education. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's dedicated to ensuring the accurate, effective teaching of climate change and evolution and other important topics. And um, Anne has a uh, uh, history and career of working as a research biologist in the uh, Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, has a distinguished career there, and has uh, done work in science. And so we're excited to have you, Anne. And uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back. And thank you uh, for again joining us and being a part of our family of thousands of listeners every um, broadcast. And to our new listeners, we're glad you joined us and hope you uh, find something useful and helpful in this and other conversations that we have. So, Anne, I would love first to have you tell us a little bit about um, your your organization, National Center for Science Education, and uh, where you're located. Uh, who you Who do you basically work with? Uh, in in your work from day to day? So the National Center for Science Education got its start um, almost 40 years ago when there was a fairly concerted effort at that time to have creationism taught in public schools uh, Mm -hmm. either alongside or instead of evolution. And Mm -hmm. this was very uh, alarming to biology teachers because evolution is is really the the core of biology and and if it's Uh left out or if it is taught as if it is um, somehow uh, controversial or debatable that really interferes with any understanding of how biology works so Uh the organization for many many years was largely reactive when when there was and i'm what i mean by that is when there was an effort like this to um, ban the teaching of evolution or Uh uh, there have been all kinds of different ways of interfering with it. There's uh, Alabama had a disclaimer um, yes. sticker that they required to be put on my yes. textbooks. Yes. Lots and lots, lots and lots of ways of trying to uh, interfere with the teaching of evolution. NCSE would spring into action and organize local science teachers, scientists, um, science fans who wanted their children to get an accurate science education and try mm-hmm. to put an end to whatever that uh, effort to interfere might be. Um, uh-huh. We were very successful with lots and lots of partners in that work. And I would say the culmination of that was in 2007 um, in the Kitzmiller 
versus Dover mm-hmm. trial in Pennsylvania, yes. where yes. there was an effort to have intelligent design taught um, in the local public schools, uh, intelligent design being a, a direct descendant of, of creationism. Mm-hmm. And it was the local biology teachers who stepped up and said, we, we won't do this. We won't teach mm-hmm. this. We won't use this textbook. We won't mm-hmm. read this disclaimer, which, you know, um, for all of the educators out there, that's really brave. Yes. Um, and so that was a that was a brave act on their part, and and that trial was extremely successful. The the decision, what I thought was particularly impressive about it was that the judge clearly really understood from the expert testimony what the difference is between a scientific uh, conclusion and a and a non scientific conclusion. That that uh-huh. evolution is evidence based. It's science. And intelligent design is not evidence-based. It's, it's not verifiable. It is essentially religious in nature. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll come back to this idea of understanding the nature of science, I'm sure, later in the podcast. But mm-hmm. um, what we found at that point, though, was that these kinds of direct um, attacks on um, evolution, education, were growing more and more rare, or at least we were finding out about fewer of them, because I think any place where evolution is not taught well or accurately these days, probably in places where people are not complaining about that, and so we don't find out about it. Um, So when I started at at NCSE um, about eight years ago, uh, a survey had just been done after the Kitzmiller trial, actually, asking Mm -hmm. biology teachers how they taught evolution, Yes, and (laughs) what was found in that was kind of shocking that that some you know one in eight teachers were actively teaching that creationism was a was a scientific alternative to evolution mm-hmm. um, and that only about a third of biology teachers were teaching evolution as one as the scientific community would expect them to do mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. we zeroed in on then Brian is the, the 60 percent of teachers in between who reported that they they weren't teaching creationism Mm-hmm. But they weren't really teaching evolution straight up either. They maybe mm-hmm. were telling their students that some scientists think this and some scientists think that. Or they were teaching, um, they were teaching it as a debate. Or they were teaching, mm-hmm. or they were just not teaching it at all. And mm-hmm. so at that point, and this is again almost eight years ago, we decided to start trying to reach those teachers who we call the hesitant teachers or the reluctant teachers. And and those adjectives may be familiar to your listeners because of the current vaccination um, uh, debates about right and I'm glad you yes yes and I'm glad you brought that up we'll come back to that but yes please continue so so um, at around the same time a few years before I came to NCSC the organization had added climate change to its mandate and and the reason was because we were seeing similar kinds of for example legislative efforts to give teachers um, permission or even require them to, and I'm, I'm air quoting, which you can't see on a podcast, both uh-huh. sides um, of, of this topic. And, and there are certainly places in education where teaching both sides of something is, is a smart pedagogic technique. Uh-huh. It's a good way uh-huh. for people to learn. But in science, it's really problematic to set up uh-huh. a debate between something that is scientific and something that isn't scientific. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, you may want, if you're teaching climate change, you may want to have a debate about um, 
which policy response would be the most effective uh, in, mm-hmm. in dealing with climate change. But you don't want to have a debate about whether it's happening or not when right. the right. vast preponderance of scientific evidence is on one side. Same with evolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we, uh, in response to this need that we saw of teachers who were um, somehow equivocating or sending a mixed message about these areas of science that we wanted to reach out to those teachers and try to help them teach these topics. And what we found when we surveyed them was that in many cases, they didn't have a lot of confidence of their own knowledge of these areas of science. And they, they, particularly with climate change, many, many teachers reported, the majority of teachers reported that they had not had a single class or even a single lecture in a class on the science of climate change. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising then that they might find it a little intimidating to teach, especially in places where uh, the level of distrust of the science or rejection of the science is high. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there are really two things that teachers need to teach these topics with confidence. One is that kind of content expertise. Mm-hmm. And the second is understanding how to deal with the fact that students are going to be coming into their classrooms with a lot of misconceptions about these yes. areas of science. Yes. Um, when it comes to evolution, the students may have been told that it's a zero-sum game. You can either accept evolution and you can believe in God, but you can't do both. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and if you're, if you're a religious person and you come from a religious family and you're asked to choose between some topic in your science class and your faith, faith is going to win. Right. And, um, and so for teachers to know how to say, oh, wait, these are two completely different ways of knowing. And you can believe in God and you can learn about and accept the science of evolution. There's no problem here. Um, to, to develop lessons so that teachers can introduce topics in this way that allow students to repair those misconceptions by examining the evidence rather than being, mm-hmm. you know, told from the front of the room, you better accept climate change or a big dum-dum. That's, that's right. not going right. to work. They're going to leave with the same misconceptions they came in with, maybe having absorbed a few factoids about carbon dioxide as a, you know, absorber of some wavelengths. Sure. And, you know, I, just as you talked about uh, the debate that has been set up in a lot of cases that there are topics that had scientific evidence and then there are topics that lacked scientific evidence, yet they were set up somewhat as equal in their footing that, you know, you or the other, there's a debate as you've you've pointed out that there it's a debate um, and that that the conclusions aren't um, aren't solid but that there is more um, if you guess on one side you're just as likely to be correct as if you guess on another Um, I, I, I guess I'm just wondering if there's some connection between um that and how we that has has been how things have been framed, and later on people believe that you can juxtapose two uh, topics like that or two sides of it and say choose one, and that makes that is that's a valid way to 
make your decisions about what's scientific or not. Um, because I, I think, you know, I, I hear, and as you know, you know, we'll get into talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what's being taught about viruses and how they're spread or what have you. But um, I think, you know, when you think about the kind of the court of public opinion and where people are eloquently about topics that they don't really know a lot about. And I think that's where, um, you know, I think where we've gotten in trouble is saying you can decide um, to to people with kind of non-expertise in these areas, but certainly a non-scientific approach to making decisions about um, what is what is the for lack of a better word, I mean, what is the correct, what is the accurate uh, or scientifically defensible um, uh, answer to this? Um, and so I just wonder if there's a connection between, love to hear your thoughts about that, between we've, we've had this debate and then it, it, it translates into other areas where people do the same thing. That's absolutely that's absolutely right. And the last year and a half uh, has has shown us more than anything else that uh, shown us at NCSE that a, a firm grasp of the nature of science is really the key. Mm-hmm. And because um, so many of the misconceptions about uh, evolution or about climate change are really based in what you're talking about of not not really understanding what it means when you when scientists have reached a consensus on something when the evidence for something um, is is so strong it really doesn't make sense to mm-hmm. uh, hold up some other idea as as equivalent to it mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. I think we've seen um, during the pandemic that that uh, fundamental understanding of how science works is really lacking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and that means that if people don't feel for themselves that they can, that they can, for example, read a, a newspaper article and, that says um, uh, lots of hospitalized people or it, lots of vaccinated people are ending up in the hospital, and they don't read it with an eye towards thinking, well, how many, you know, what's the ratio of people who are vaccinated? There you go. People who are That's right. Who end up right, right. You know, to, to, to say, sure, you can point to this one person who got really sick and ended up in the hospital, but if you look at the big numbers, you know, 999 people who were unvaccinated got sick and this one person who was vaccinated That's right. got sick enough to go in the hospital, right. which would be about the ratio. And mm-hmm. that happens all the time. And, and mm-hmm. I don't really blame um, journalistic practices for this. I think that would be too strong. But I think that journal, journalists often, in, in an effort to be fair or objective, they 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 do talk about both sides, and and mm-hmm. sometimes, in, in fact, usually they'll say, you know, this is what most scientists think, but some scientists say this instead, um, mm-hmm. and and it's hard not to read that and and make those two sides equivalent. Sure, sure. And, you know, and I have to say that the people who want to cast doubt on on the scientific consensus, the people who's in whose interest it is to make people doubt what the scientists are telling them, and I would count a lot of the anti-vaxxers in this crowd, mm-hmm. they kind of use the, the norms of science against it mm-hmm. because science, no scientist will ever say, we know this absolutely, it is the truth. 
Mm. That's not how science mm-hmm. works. That's not how it works. What That's right. Not, that's not how it works. Science, scientists will always say, to the best of our knowledge, everything that we know right now, this is how we think this works. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but something, you know, could happen tomorrow that would make us rethink this. Uh, I remember um, very early on when I first got to NCSC, we helped prepare Bill Nye, the science guy, to debate with Ken Ham, who was uh, a creationist who built uh, an attraction called the Ark Park in Kentucky. And um, the very last part, they were talking about whether that could be true. And um, at the very end, they were each asked, what would change your mind about your position? And Bill Nye said, well, if, if we found in an old fossil layer, you know, a, a human bone, I, I would really have to think about what our, our sequence of events in evolution, because the, the layer um, appearance of different life forms in older and older rock is one of the mm-hmm. lines of evidence for evolution. So mm-hmm. he said, that, but that's never happened, and I don't expect it ever to happen because there are so many other lines of evidence mm-hmm. that suggest that could never happen. But it, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that scientists would have to think about, even their most deeply held conclusions. And Ken Ham said, if it conflicts with the Bible, it's not true. Mm-hmm. And that was just very, very telling to me. And, sure. and I'm not saying that you know one of those is... Um, necessarily better than the other. If you want to base your understanding of the world on your reading of the Bible, that's fine, but it's not science. Right. That's right. Well, you know, and I I think about how many times I um, saw in the debates on, let's just sticking with climate change, I heard people say things and make um, comparisons between things that didn't go together or didn't make sense. So um, I remember, and I can't remember, but it was a politician, of course, that uh, made reference to a snowstorm that was happening, a really bad snowstorm that was happening in the Midwest uh, a year or two ago. And and then they said, when they talked about the, the snowstorm and and how people were under so many feet of snow and then they just as a side say and they say there's climate change and right. they say there's global it was, warming there's global warming yes that's right there's global warming and it's like uh those it, that's not exactly what how it works you know and and but just without regard for the as we're speaking about it, um, these kinds of statements are made. Right, exactly. And 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 students um, can really get into learning to spot those kinds of rhetorical tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work with a with a researcher named John Cook, who's based in Australia, who before he became a scientist was a cartoonist, and and which is it turns out to be a really wonderful overlapping skill set. Um, because he'll do cartoons that sort of illustrate the absurdity of that position. And for that particular one of, of the um, climate change deniers who say, well, it's a really cold day, so what about global warming? He has a cartoon of, of someone who's outside at nighttime and saying, it's really dark. There is no sun. Hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's not, that's not, <laughs> the fact that it's dark right now doesn't mean that the sun isn't going to come up in the morning, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so students, students can get really good at spotting that kind of logical fallacy, and that's, that's a good way for them to approach not just um, climate change, but, but really all manner of um, persuasive uh, argumentation that, that leans on these kinds of um, fallacies. Right, right. One of the things that we, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that exercise is one of the things that we use in our lessons to help students um, recognize their own misconceptions, that so many of them are based on, on either logical fallacies, they might be based on um, fake experts. And, and we mm-hmm. saw a lot mm-hmm. of that again during the pandemic oh, where yes. um, people who, but, you know, maybe they had a PhD in something, but not in epidemiology. Right. Were, <laughs> we saw know, that. Developing their own models and saying, oh, well, we think 90% of people are already immune to, um, to COVID, to the coronavirus being, you know, last April. Um, and, or, you know, people who were, I don't know what, chiropractors who were saying mm-hmm. you should mm-hmm. take this treatment for, uh, you know, and not that they're automatically wrong. That's that's not what I'm saying. That you shouldn't mm-hmm. you should only trust people who have the right letters after their name. But right. that's one of the things that you weigh when you're deciding whether something is credible or not. Oh, absolutely. So they absolutely. would learn about fake experts. They learn about the the um, the characteristics of conspiratorial thinking. So, uh, which again is something that we've seen a lot of in the last year. So, how how do you recognize when the argument someone is making it has the same characteristics as a conspiracy theory. Those, those things are learnable. And, and to our minds, what students, and science class is a great place to do it. It's not the only place. Um, you, you cover all areas of education, and those kinds of critical thinking skills can be taught in a lot of places. But science is a particularly good place to, sure. um, to have students learn how to weigh the quality of evidence. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about um, also so climate uh, change, but also evolution, and uh, uh, that you specifically that case, uh, the Kitzmiller case, and and so I know that a lot of science teacher partic- teachers, particularly biology teachers, talk about it in terms of kind of the pre Kitzmiller era, and then a post. Um, that I, there were, and as I've read uh, some of the the research on how this is being taught, um, before the Kitzmiller case, uh, there were, and back to what you were talking about, one in three biology teachers were talking about evolution uh, consistently. Um, it, there seems to be, at least from the latest research, I guess last year or so, uh, some increase in that. So it has changed. They um, uh, Some studies have been published where looking at how much time high school teachers are devoting to evolution and just general evolutionary processes that that's that's changed a bit and so it's been increased um and you know there are a lot of recommendations that i'd love if you if you um can expand a little bit about um next generation science standards uh what are your thoughts about uh not specifically related to say evolution or 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 climate change but um, these next generation science standards uh, do you believe that that's the way you would recommend 
um, for, you know, say to the superintendent out there that's listening um, or the charter network leader um, trying to figure out what do we use, what do we adopt, what, what's your advice to them in terms of adopting science standards? Um, so to get to your first question about the change in the teaching revolution since 2007, since the consumer mm -hmm. trial, we have, uh, we did a survey just a couple of years ago following up on that original survey. And, and as you said, we did see a lot of improvements um, in the number of teachers who teach evolution as settled science, but now it's up to two out of three, mm -hmm. uh, which, is, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, I, I do want to say, though, that, that creationism is not completely gone. Uh, mm -hmm. We still uh, see, um, for example, this year in Arkansas, a House bill was introduced um, stating, and I'm going to read it to you because it deserves to be read uh, mm -hmm. in its entirety. This bill said to allow creationism as a theory of how the earth came to exist to be taught in kindergarten through grade 12 classes mm -hmm. in public schools and open enrollment public charter schools. Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, is just on its face unconstitutional. It's been mm -hmm. found to be unconstitutional in a number of cases, um, but it made it through the House committee and, and through the entire House in Arkansas and um, only died in the Senate um, on a tie vote in the um, Education Committee in the Senate. So, wow. um, so there's still uh, our, and, and we also, and we're going to get into science standards, so there is no um, national set of science standards. Right. Not right. how education works in America, and you know mm -hmm. that from everything mm -hmm. else. Um, and um, so every year, maybe four or five states are upgrading, updating their science standards. And we very, very regularly will see situations where whoever is updating the standards will either want to water down evolution or climate change, take them out, put them in as a debate. Um, so we still, uh, and that's something that NCSE still monitors and still gets involved in when we see that mm -hmm. kind of effort to water down the standards. Um, the next generation science standards, which you mentioned, have been adopted by 20 states um, there are another uh, about equal number of states who based their science standards on the same framework that the next generation science standards are based on, which was a framework um, developed at the National Academy of Sciences. Uh -huh. And what I love about the next generation science standards is they really weave the nature of science through the whole curriculum and they weave big concepts um, like evolution, like um, human impact on the environment, through the mm -hmm. curriculum starting in kindergarten and that at you know at age in an age appropriate way of course, and building on that knowledge so that when students get to high school they have the the you know ideally sort of a uniform level of understanding of these topics so that they can then you know go deeper and and into you know more. Um, complicated concepts uh, as they go through high school. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. idea was also so that students who move from state to state would have a similar sort of scientific you know, background. Um, but they're not national standards. They weren't mandated nationally. They were developed right. by a set of states that implemented them. Um, and, and what we found, though, going back to that survey work that you mentioned, is that states that had adopted the next generation science standards we saw a bigger improvement in the way teachers taught evolution in those mm -hmm. states than in states mm -hmm. that had not adopted them. 
So mm-hmm. um, whether that is because the evolution is treated so comprehensively in those standards or whether it's because uh, teachers in those states got a lot more professional development in order to be able to teach according to the, the, um, the, the standards that, that the NGHS expect. And, and I should say that um, for, for people who aren't familiar with science standards, they may think that what a standard science standard consists of is students should be able to define all the parts of the cell. Students should be able to um, list you know, to, to, to apply F equals MA to a word problem. They should be able to define, you know, what an ion is or what an electron mm-hmm. is. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, that kind of laundry list of science facts uh, is exactly what the NGSS tries to get away from. And, mm-hmm. and it tries to really focus on concepts that students learn and that and they call them cross-cutting concepts that, that actually mm-hmm. interact with each other so that you don't have this silo of, what you learn in chemistry, you don't even think about what that means for earth science uh, or what it means for biology or what those physics um, equations have to do with how blood circulates. You know, all of these things can be taught in a way that that makes them all make sense together. And that's what the NGSS really tries to do. And it does seem to have had a good impact on how the topics that we care about the most, evolution and climate change, um, the likelihood that they'll be taught in accordance with the subtle science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I would agree. Um, I know they are described as being based on the best available evidence. And that's what science is, is about evidence. Um, and right. um, um, I think that that would go a long way to help children be able to think critically, as you said, uh, about um, the information they get. Um, so, Anne, thank you so much for for uh, being with us today. I, you know, as I told you, it's a it's a very quick thirty minutes, <laughs> and uh, but we we appreciate what you have shared and uh, about your organization. I know the uh, website is NC. Uh, for those of you who may be interested. Um, But um, again, thank you for being with us. And we really appreciate everything um, uh, that you shared with us today. Uh, And for those of you um, who are going to be um, joining us next week, um, next week's guest um, is um, Mr. Aaron Deffer teacher um, and um, has written several books on uh, classroom management. So next week is for teachers, instructional leaders. Just uh, ask you if you're interested in learning more about how to manage classrooms um, kind of under a new model, join in and and listen uh, next week uh, to us with uh, Aaron. Um, And so, uh, again, thank you, Anne. Uh, Really appreciate it. And until next time, go well, stay well. Take care, Anne. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.